You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. This week in news on Eye on the Triangle. A brief rundown of the latest news. From the Glass Enclosed Nerve Center at WKNC News, I'm John Boyer, and here's our top local story. The fallout continues from this weekend's winter storm. The nearly five inches of sleet and snow that fell on Saturday melted slowly this afternoon. But experts caution that tonight's low temperature around 20 degrees will quickly refreeze the slush and cause hazardous driving conditions tomorrow morning. As a result of the black ice threat, the National Weather Service issued a winter weather advisory that will go into effect at 9 o'clock tonight and expire at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Additionally, some light rain tomorrow morning may freeze on contact with the ground, causing additional slick spots on the road. Classes after 6.30 p.m. here at NCSU are canceled. Wake County, Durham, Orange, Johnston, Harnett, Franklin, Granville, Vance, and Chatham County Public Schools are closed again tomorrow. No word, if any, on the status of local colleges and universities for tomorrow. That information can be found on the university website, however. Here at Eye on the Triangle, we encourage you to use common sense when driving tonight. And here's Tommy with a snow-related story. Yeah, while we're on the topic of snow stories, I've got one that I witnessed unfold in the quad of UNC's campus this weekend. There was a huge planned snowball fight that several pe- several hundred people, including myself, participated in. When I first got there, I noticed a guy wearing an NC State hoodie. Well, sure enough, about 20 or 30 minutes later, he was being chased and pelted with snowballs by a group of at least 200 people. After the UNC kids tripped him, circled around him, and buried him in the snow, he attempted twice to get up and was forcefully shoved face-first each time back into it. At one point, a participant actually had his foot on the state guy's back. The whole time, the UNC students were chanting tar heels back and forth, and they sang their alma mater and fight song when they were done with him. My point here is that UNC fans have no room to talk when they cite the supposed crassness and incivility of state fans. I'm not implying that a baby blue-clad guest at a snowball fight on state's campus would receive a warm welcome, but it should be known that UNC students are far from darling in their treatment of state fans. WRAL is reporting that Senator Richard Burr has approximately $4.3 million to use in his re-election bid, approximately seven times more than the war chests of all the Democratic contenders combined. Burr's campaign reported today that they raised $1.2 million in the final quarter of 2009. Democrats seeking to win Burr's seat in the U.S. Senate include NC Secretary of State Elaine Marshall, former State Senator Cal Cunningham, and Durham Attorney Kenneth Lewis. The Wolfpack community and Alpha Tau Omega fraternity are mourning the loss of a member this weekend. Technician reports that Spencer Meyer, a junior in technology education, was found dead in his off-campus apartment Friday morning. Raleigh police are in charge of the investigation and do not suspect any foul play. President Obama's State of the Union address last Wednesday night revealed some good news for North Carolina. The new Raleigh blog reports that $520 million of federal funding are coming our way to improve the railways between Raleigh and Charlotte in order to start a high-speed rail service. Estimated to be completed in around 10 years, the project will be a piece of a nationwide network of passenger trains that will travel at speeds of 85 to 110 miles an hour and make a trip to D.C. in only four hours. President Obama submitted his $3.8 trillion budget proposal to Congress today, according to Bloomberg. The plan places heavy emphasis on job creation with a proposed $100 billion in additional stimulus spending. The forecasted deficit for the fiscal year of 2011 is expected to run as high as $1.4 trillion. In entertainment news, the nominees for the 82nd Academy Awards will be announced at 8.38 tomorrow morning. In a change to the nomination tradition, instead of five, ten pictures will now be considered for the honor of Best Picture of 2009. The ceremony on March 7th will be hosted by Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin. Think you can beat a groundhog at prediction? Keep listening to Eye on the Triangle in the upcoming weeks as we will announce details for an Oscar prediction contest. 
On this day in 2009, Johanna Sigurdardottir is elected as the Prime Minister of Iceland, becoming the first openly gay head of state in the modern world. And in 2003, the space shuttle Columbia failed as it re-entered the Earth's atmosphere over Texas. In 1960, four black students from North Carolina Agricultural and Technical University staged the first of the Greensboro sit-ins at a Woolworths lunch counter in Greensboro. Today also marks the first day of Black History Month. National Freedom Day is celebrated today, marking the anniversary of when President Lincoln signed what will become the 13th Amendment, which prohibits slavery. Birthday shout-outs go to Lauren Conrad, Rick James, Jessica Savage, and former Russian Prime Minister Boris Yeltsin. Tomorrow is Groundhog Day, and despite the shining success of our local meteorologists in predicting this weekend's winter storm, legions of idiots will put more faith in the pre-dawn squirming of a large and terrified rodent than an experienced community of meteorologists and climatologists with training in differential equations and atmospheric thermodynamics, not to mention access to the world's most powerful computers. This leads a meteorology student such as myself to ask what it's all worth. I would like to submit for the public's approval a new tradition, whereby a weasel covered in jam will dictate our climate change policy. And in place of our normal weather forecast, I'd like to introduce our pet of the week, a groundhog named Jasper. Jasper is a three-year-old female looking for a good home. Jasper gets along well with children and loves Girl Scout cookies. Jasper is capable of predicting the future and loves watching The Price is Right. If you would like to know more information about Jasper, please call the Wake County Groundhog Rescue at 919-555-0247. More radios are tuned to WKNC than any other household appliance. Stay tuned as Eye on the Triangle with Seja Hindi continues with sports, followed by our new editorial segment. to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I'm Seja Hindi. If you guys have been keeping up with our blog lately, you'll have noticed that Eye on the Triangle is making a lot of changes this semester, so definitely stay tuned. Uh, one of the changes is an editorial that we hope to start every episode. Um, Evan Garris has graciously agreed to do that, where we'll pick a topic every week and kind of have Evan give us his opinion on it, and then you guys call in or shoot us an email next week or whatever you want and give us your feedback on what you think about the edit. So for our first editorial, I'll hand it over to Evan. Thanks, Seja. 21st of January, the United States Supreme Court fundamentally redefined the way politics is conducted in this country. In one swift, forceful blow, the court struck down numerous precedents and decades-old legal interpretations intended to keep the manipulative, greedy hands of America's most powerful corporations from essentially buying favorable votes in Congress. What's more is the decision in this case, Citizens United versus the Federal Elections Commission, seemingly went unnoticed. Not two days after the decision was handed down, news of its delivery was quickly eclipsed by juicier stories that would undoubtedly garner media outlets higher ratings and shield their corporate overlords from public scrutiny. Until now, corporations did not have the ability to give unlimited amounts of money to political campaigns. Such conduct was seen, and rightly so, as a danger to democracy. The case was originally centered on broadcasting rights to a politically charged documentary that vociferously criticized the 2008 presidential campaign of Hillary Clinton. After, or however, for reasons unknown, one or more of our all-seeing, all-knowing justices decided to take a more fundamental approach and focus on the personhood of corporate entities and whether or not their ability to finance political campaigns and advertisements is a form of free speech. The trial ended with the all-too-familiar vote of five to four, the new black of the legal world, 
with the usual suspects, Justices Scalia, Roberts, Alito, Thomas, and Kennedy comprising the majority. Our highest court has failed us. The justices took a cut-and-dry issue over broadcasting rights and threw a pretty remarkable, complex bit of obviously politicized legal abstraction gave corporations civil rights. As not to discriminate, foreign corporate interests are covered too and may now influence our political process. Now these businesses are like the all-American family next door, except this family is poised with a knife over your back ready to eviscerate you should it aid their bottom line. Democracy obviously isn't making these guys enough money. They won't stop until they've whittled away every barrier to profit-making on the books, and they'll start by buying seats in Congress. My question to you is, where in hell is our outrage? Thanks, Evan. Now on to our sports segment, but before we get to that, you heard Evan's opinion, so make sure to let us know what you think. The opinions of Evan do not reflect those of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. And now on to Tyler and Taylor for sports. Hey guys, how's it going? Um, we're going to recap the basketball team's action this weekend, talk a little bit about how the rest of the season's looking and outlook going into 2010. And we will also talk about something that will cheer us up while State's not been doing so well, the fact that Carolina's been doing as bad or worse lately. Taylor, you want to talk about what we saw of the basketball team Saturday against Central? Well, the uh, team came out a little slow in the first half and at, at times where uh, they actually were down early on. But they battled back, and with a 15-2 to two run late in the first half, built the lead. And then going into the second half, they ended up stretching that lead out to an easy 77-42 to victory. Uh, for the team, they were led once again by uh, Tracy Smith, who I think had 22 points. And then Dennis Horner was also the uh, uh, only other player in, for the pack to actually have double digits with 13. Yeah, and a uh, key thing, it was good to see a lot of the guys we haven't seen get much playing time, if any at all, this season. I think all 13 players on the roster saw saw a few minutes. Um, Johnny Thomas had his first points of the season, I believe. Um, Taylor, how big do you think that win was for confidence? I know we needed some confidence after we uh, – not we, I'm not on the team, but you know the basketball team needed some confidence after the performances against Maryland and Carolina. you think this will do anything, or you think beating, beating Central is pretty easy to dismiss based on uh, Central's struggles this year? I mean, yeah, Central's, I mean, not the best team that we're going to see, but definitely just going out there and getting that win, and I think just, I mean, just playing well. They started off bad, but getting on that run finally in the second half was just, it definitely had to help the team's confidence and just build it as they're going in for these next two road games against Virginia and Georgia Tech. Yeah, let's let's first talk about the uh, Virginia game. How good do you think State's chances are Wednesday night uh, up in uh, Charlottesville? Well, I mean, Virginia's coming off that big win against Carolina, and, I mean, it's going to be a tough win. It'll be definitely a huge win if State can get it for any chances of postseason play in IT or NCAA tournament. I mean, we've shown we can win on the road when we took down Florida State. So I think if we go out there and just play well, and we have to shoot. We have to shoot a lot better than Carolina, that's for sure. And if we can do that and Tracy get Tracy the ball, run our offense, I think we have a chance. Yeah, I think we got a good chance, too. I covered the uh, home game against Virginia where we kind of fell apart the last 10 minutes, but we were playing right with them. I believe we had a little bit of a lead, and the offense kind of evaporated. Um, it did so yeah, we've seen that as well time. against as well against it did so also against Carolina. But um, I think we got a great chance against Virginia. They're not a they're not a team that we're going to go up there and expect to lose by any means. They're they're not they're not the cream of the crop in the ACC. And if State plays well, as we've seen them do at times, um, I think we got a great chance to beat Virginia. And then uh, going on the road at Georgia Tech, that'll be a a real tough game. And we'll um, I'll be interested to say the least to see how the trip down to Atlanta goes. Yeah, I mean we definitely did play with Virginia the first time we were uh, I and mean, we played them. We had them, and then the free throw meltdown. 
that kind of stuff. I mean, that was just – and we let that game slip away. We definitely had the opportunity to win that game. Yeah. And then, um, like we touched on earlier in, in the show a few minutes ago, um, talking about Carolina's struggles and uh, how encouraging has that been to, for you to see? I know we all like seeing Carolina struggle. Oh, definitely. Well, it's, it, it shuts them up. They can't say like they always do during football after we beat them, oh, just wait till basketball season. They're really uh, struggling so far. I mean – Roy's I mean, last night when they lost to uh, Virginia by 15 was the worst home loss they've had with Roy Williams there, and he didn't seem too happy in his press conference saying it. they couldn't get any worse playing than they are right now. Yeah, and on a little negative note to bring us back down to reality, the sad thing is if, if Carolina's struggling that bad and they beat us by double digits, granted they weren't up by double digits that whole game, but the final score they beat us pretty easily. I mean, what's that say about us? Was that an off night or is that an indicator that we're even worse than people like to think if, if Carolina's that down and we still um, – fell behind and never got back into it uh, second half well i mean if you look at it we were going in i mean we were killing them and we had that run as soon as we started that seven, second half built that five point lead and then just hit rock bottom i mean r- really have you ever se- i've never seen it before in my life watching a team go over nine yeah, minutes it looked like without the scoring out of, i mean just out of, out of everybody going, yeah. offensively and defensively I mean, with turnovers and then giving yeah. up a lot of layups and such it was it was not pretty Mm-mm. but um i think i'm being told that we have uh, spent our a lot of time for tonight, so uh, thank y'all for listening. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I'm Seja Hindi. Thanks for the sports update, guys. Make sure to check out wknc.org slash blog for more. We have a lot of stuff coming up. For this episode, a lot of events going on this weekend that we'll talk about from the Krispy Kreme Challenge to the Double Barrel Benefit. So make sure to stay tuned. We'll take a short break, and once we get back, we'll dive right into VIP. WKNC 88.1. So I'm here today with some of the organizers of the Krispy Kreme Challenge. Um, If you don't know what that is, basically it has now become a tradition where people will register to run two miles from the Bell Tower to the Krispy Kreme in downtown Raleigh, eat a dozen donuts, and run back all under an hour, in support of the Children's Hospital. If you guys just want to kind of introduce yourselves and tell us what your role is with the Krispy Kreme Challenge. Uh, I'm Kaylee Porterfield, and I'm one of the three co-chairs this year. I'm Jake Lloyd. I'm the second of three co-chairs this year. And I'm Logan Dawson, and I'm the third (laughs) co-chair. Awesome. Okay, so what can you guys tell us about this year's Krispy Kreme Challenge? What kinds of things might be different this year that we haven't encountered in the past? Well, we, uh, we definitely have a fun weather forecast uh, that we were kind of looking at. Hopefully that's going to cooperate with us a little better than the weather this weekend, definitely. Yeah, we have our uh, chief meteorologist, Logan Dawson, <laughs> who's ready to give us a full and complete forecast, save any you know unforeseen crazy weather. But we're still having the race, rain or shine, so everybody mm-hmm. needs to come out for sure. Yeah. Um, right now we're just looking at a little bit of rain, hopefully. But um, there is the possibility of maybe some snow, sleet. We don't really know yet. Um, we're just hoping that it stays uh, warm enough that we don't run into ice or anything like that. That sounds good. So there are 6,000 people registered. Um, it, does that include supporters, or is that just basically runners? No, that's 6,000 runners. 6,000 runners. Okay. And how do you plan to accommodate that many people? I mean, in years past, it has been a lot less, right? Well, last year, there was 5,500 and change on top of that. So we really didn't grow that many from last year to this year we could have but unfortunately raleigh police department for safety reasons told us we needed to cap it at six thousand runners which is exactly what we did so 
I mean, we've got everything planned out to the T. Those people will know exactly where they need to go, when they need to be there. They've been emailed specific information, instructions that they need to follow, and it should go just fine. Okay, that sounds good. Something that's definitely going to help, too, with the amount of runners is we do have that whole block around Krispy Kreme, whereas in the past years, everybody's had to stay in that parking lot and try and find water and donuts, and things will be more spread out this year, so hopefully people will have a little bit easier time. I know that was a big problem last year. Okay. Is there any room for the event to grow, or do you think that 6,000 is kind of the cap that you have to keep that? Um, We're really not sure about that right now. Um, We started out the year with Raleigh Police Department saying, you can't have more than 6,000 runners, and um, that that may be the cap that we have um, for the near future. Okay. How is the Hillsborough Street construction affecting the race, if at all? It's definitely been something we've had to accommodate. We've had a lot of open dialogue with the construction company, but uh, they've been more than helpful, and it hasn't made us change our route at all or anything. It, it'll actually be kind of neat having people spread around that new traffic circle on Hillsborough. Yeah, we just ask everybody to be careful. Obviously, don't run into barricades. Respectful of the <laughs> machinery, things right like that. <laughs> okay. What has your involvement been with the Krispy Kreme Challenge over the years? I mean, how did you guys become organizers this year? Um, this is actually my second year at State. Um, I started off last year um, on the Campus Integration Committee, which are, those are the people that are you see out on the brickyard, um, registering people, handing out uh, the race bibs and t-shirts and stuff this week the week week before the race and um i actually had the chance to work at Krispy Kreme last year uh filling up tons of water cups for all the racers so uh that that's been my involvement okay how many donuts are going to be sitting out in that parking lot Oh uh, six thousand times twelve <laughs> six thousand <laughs> some of them you can't really thousand donuts at least <laughs> yeah okay yeah, um, I started uh, four years ago, so I'm a senior this year. So my freshman year, I helped out with logistics, um, just moving barricades and stuff. And then uh, sophomore year, I was on logistics again. Then last year, I actually got to the head of committee, and uh, this year I'm leading the whole race. So, And um, I was also involved with logistics. I'm a junior, so my first two years, I was on the logistics committee handling everything from you know, I think I actually took care of Porta Johns last year, So, which is, as you guys all know, a very important job. But... <laughs> Um, yeah, and then just came this year and one of the co-chairs. Okay. What new technology have you guys kind of used to accommodate for the increased uh, amount of people? Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. We actually, so last year was the first year we started chip timing the race, which, you know, all the big races, each runner gets their own chip, which lets them, you know, what they do each leg of the race in. So this year we're actually using a new chip timing system, which are we're all pretty stoked about. Um so each runner's got their own bib, and on the back of the bib's got a chip on it. So they're going to run under an arch when they start, and then they'll start their time. Um, and then they'll run to Krispy Kreme, and if they're still a challenger, they'll get timed again, and then they'll get time when they finish. So that way they can see how long it took them to get Krispy Kreme, how long it took them to eat their donuts, and then how long it took them to get back. And what's great about the chips is they're disposable. So at the end of the race, we don't have to try and you know cut the bracelets off people's ankles and stuff like that. And with yeah. so many runners, it's gonna it's gonna help things run a lot smoother. Yeah, that was disgusting last year cutting all those <laughs> ankles. Oh man, that was that was awful. <laughs> Too much sweat. That sounds good. Okay, well, what about the uh, Krispy Kreme regulars? I mean, do you guys hear any feedback from them? How does the race kind of affect them? I think that there are uh, a lot of people that love going out there to the Krispy Kreme to see all those people <laughs> right. coming through. Um, I know it brings a lot of people out to Krispy Kreme the night before when we have packet pickup um, and then the next morning when everybody's coming through. 
Yeah, Krispy Kreme loves us. We definitely do a lot of business for them. So a lot of people just love to come out and watch 6,000 people eating. That's a, that's a lot of guys. <laughs> yeah. How much money are you expecting to raise? You know, I, we don't have an exact figure for that. We would like to at least match the $40,000 that we gave uh, from the 2009 race. So beyond that, it's kind of up to charitable contributions from individuals. So, you know, go out there, sign up as a supporter. If you didn't get to register, come out on race day. Um, we've got some great merchandise. So anything that, you know, you can donate, all proceeds will go to the hospital. Okay. And I was on the website the other day, and the uh, parks... I guess mailbox was the one listed for all mailing. How does that play into it? I mean, are they kind of helping out with organizing or is there something else? Well, the race initially when it was started, it was started by a group of guys and some of the guys were park scholars. So um, the park scholarship has been extremely helpful to us as far as letting us use the resources. Um, Our faculty advisor is the director of the park scholarship program. We unfortunately store all of our shirts in the park <laughs> office, um, so they're going to love us the next couple of days, but they're very helpful, and that's just we had to have a specific address for mailing um, checks and stuff like that, okay. so we put that address. Do you ever feel like there's a disconnect between the Krispy Kreme Challenge from year to year, especially since people graduate and kind of move on and new people take over the following year? I think we've actually been pretty lucky with that thus far just because the co-chairs from the past couple of years are still around. So if we have a question or or anything like that, they've definitely been willing to communicate with us, help us out with stuff. And I think all three of us are going to be around next year for the race. So that'll definitely be helpful when we transition. We're all a big family. We spend a lot of time Mm -hmm. together. (laughs) A lot of time together. So this is something that we had touched on a little bit before the show, but did you guys ever run the Krispy Kreme Challenge? I mean, what made you decide to start working on this? I actually heard about it when I first came to state. I'm from Columbus, Ohio, and I just remember coming down here and hearing about the race and being like, that is so cool. You know, how many schools have something like that tied to the university? Uh, I'll admit I've never physically run the race, but um, I think that's my project for next year. Yeah, none of us have run it, yeah. but, I mean, it's such a cool idea, you know, so – I know when I heard about it, I was like, yeah, I'm helping. <laughs> yeah, that was the hearing about the race when I came up to visit my senior year in high school was one of the things that made me want to come to state. And um, as soon as I got on campus in the fall, I knew that I wanted to get involved with this organization. That sounds great. So can you guys kind of walk us through the final days before the Krispy Kreme Challenge and then race day? What are you going to do? I mean, yeah, the biggest thing this week is um, – packet pickups all the racers are going to come we start tomorrow in the brickyard for all the state people um anyone who lives in raleigh that's close they can come out tomorrow from one to five um we're going to be in the brickyard giving you your shirts and your race bibs same thing on wednesday and then thursday we're going to do packet pickup at athlete's foot over in cameron village and then friday night we're doing it at Krispy cream so thursday's from four to seven at athlete's foot and friday's from Krispy cream from five to nine and then uh, most of the day Friday will just be us, you know, running our errands, picking up our barricades, cones, and what sort, getting everything ready, finalized, going through our last checklist, making through, making sure everybody knows what their specific duties are, and um, just kind of, you know, doing as many mock-up things as we can. And then Saturday morning, we're going to rock and roll. It's going to be awesome. And of course, Friday night we'll make sure we get our traditional, right. yeah. traditional yeah. donut because I don't know that we're going to want to eat too many after Saturday morning. Yeah, really? Lab, why not? Our, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just kind of <laughs> lose the be craving everywhere. for them. They're, yeah. <laughs> There are too many donuts left over <laughs> afterwards, so none of us want them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is there anything that you're particularly concerned about on race day or anything that you kind of want to watch out for? Just the weather. Yeah. That's our biggest concern, but we can't do anything about that. We're just going to hope Have to wait and see. 
Yeah. Hope, hope and pray that everything goes well and that, you know, they give us nice, pretty weather. So, okay. <laughs> if there was one thing that you could, you could say after the Krispy Kreme challenge was over that went perfectly, what do you hope it would be? Oh, man. <laughs> I would say just that everybody, you know, runs down to Krispy Kreme safely, gets their dozen, dozen donuts, eats them if they want to, and gets back to the bell tower safely. And, I think that's our yeah. number one concern. And has a good time. Everybody's, this is all about having yeah. fun and supporting the Children's Hospital. So if we think that everybody has had fun and has had a good time that day, then we've done our job correctly. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know some of the organizers in years past have kind of done collaborations with like Dance Marathon and um, just other groups like that for the Children's Hospital as well. Is that something that you guys are still kind of thinking about for this year or is it still too early to tell? I'd say probably too early to tell at this point. We haven't directly been in talk with any of the other organizations um, for just because we literally have more than we can handle right now. <laughs> right. So, um, but, you know, by all means, if anybody wants help afterwards, you know, we definitely love to help everybody out definitely okay well i think that's pretty much it on my part unless you guys have anything else you'd like to add come out to the race saturday morning <laughs> saturday, 830. 830 it's gonna be early but it's gonna be awesome i actually just remembered one last question but um you guys said you didn't partake in the race but what what's the easiest way to swallow all t- dozen donuts and run back? Oh man, that's a good question. There's <laughs> I hear, all kinds I hear of the smash method is yeah, the smash and the dip the, into the water cup. Right. Yeah, maybe you see somebody jumping on top yeah. of his twelve donuts or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, you turn three no- three donuts into one, so that yeah. way you're only Smashing eating together, four. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking to uh, Mark from ESPN ninety nine point nine, the fan, and he said he just turned them into two bagels and then just ate them both <laughs> in like three bites and. Oh, it was. That's great. He described yeah. it in grave detail. So I guess I'll keep that in mind on Saturday, but <laughs> no promises there. So. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. Community Canvas on Eye on the Triangle. Your local arts news. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle's Community Canvas. I'm Kieran Marrera. This week on Community Canvas, I spoke with Leandra Ashton and Owen Young of Aquila Theater, a New York-based theater company. The Aquila Theater is putting on two performances, As You Like It, a Shakespearean play, and Enemy of the People, an Ibsen play, February 2nd and 3rd in Stewart Theater, located in Tally Student Center. I spoke to them on the phone last week while they were in Georgia, and here's what they had to say about their performances. Well, Aquila was started by um, a, a Brit, Peter Minek. Um, and then he transferred over to New York and took the company with him. Um, it's, it's quite an, an amazing company to work for. They, um, their aim is to take the greatest work, the greatest work to the greatest number of people. They do in, incredible tours. I think they're kind of one of their kind, really, in America when they, when it comes to taking really top quality shows to, to audiences that quite often won't get a chance to see stuff. Um, they also have a really strong education element to them and they do incredible work in New York with, um, with schools in Harlem, and they do projects with local libraries. Um, and so the idea of, of being a very accessible company and creating very accessible work. And mixed in with, uh, with the shows, we also um, you know, run workshops. We do question and answer sessions uh, you know, with the audience, which is really nice uh, for us to sort of be able to reach out and talk to the audience you know, you know, when we're not doing the show and uh, you know, work with you know, the students or just the paying public. And, you know, the, the tour is great because we get to see 32 states altogether, which, uh, 
um, which is great for us because most of us have never been to America before. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it, it's it's a great it's a great company to to be part of. Yeah, they they do really really fabulous work. No, that's great. And you guys do about seventy towns a year. It says on your website. It does feel like, yeah, it is, it is quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, even maybe even more. I'm not sure. I mean, we've we've been doing the show since uh, we've been doing as you like it since June, and we actually started rehearsing over in Greece, um, opened in Greece, and then came over to the LA Shakespeare Festival. And um, then we had a little bit of a break, and then we started touring um, both shows, uh, the As You Like It, and then also Ibsen's Enemy of the People, all over. I mean, we did, we've basically done a whole tour of of the country up uh, mm. north. Right we've seen more of America than a lot of Americans have seen, apparently. <laughs> it's fabulous, and we get such wonderful, warm reception as well. Um, and the show seems to be uh, going down really well. Very friendly. Very, very friendly. Very friendly. Now, tell me a little bit about your experience doing these two plays back-to-back, of course, as you like a Shakespearean play, and Ibsen's An Enemy of the People. Kind of different plays, so what is your experience? You, you guys are both in both plays. Leandra, you're Rosalind, and Owen, you're Orlando in As You Like It, but then you're also in the second play. And when you come to Stewart Theatre on February 2nd and 3rd, you'll be performing both plays. So tell me a little bit about that experience and how it is working on both plays. Sure. Well, as an actor, it bit of a dream come true, really, to be working in rep. It's a very old-fashioned system that we had uh, a lot in England, which is now pretty much dead. Um, but doing two or more plays at once is its just wonderful. You, you It really kind of tests you as an actor, and I think both shows, working on both shows, means that you've got what to bring to the other show somehow. I mean, I'm playing two completely different characters, um, from the very feisty slightly zany, intelligent Rosalind to, uh, in, in As You Like It, to uh, a doctor's wife in Ibsen. And the, the contrast of the two characters, it's, it's kind of what you, all you could wish for, really, as an actor, is to really stretch yourself, keep you on your toes, you know, keep you young, I would say. How do you find it? It does, yeah, and especially when we go to, um, to venues that, that do, uh, well, we do As You Like It one night and then Enemy of the People the next night, because often, you know, a lot of the audience, it'll be the same audience a lot of the time. So as an actor, just to be able to kind of play to the scene as you like it, and then you do Enemy of the People, and you can really, as Leandra was saying, sort of just, you know, show off the range. Again, I'm playing two very different parts, Orlando's sort of romantic, troubled sort of character, and then going on to Hofstadt, who's this kind of slimy news editor. So uh, it's kind of exploring a nice, uh, a nice range, really. Any actor would sort of jump at the chance of playing two such great plays. I mean, you know, Ibsen and Shakespeare, you know, two of the greatest writers, really. To be able to work together with the same company of actors is really satisfying as well on, on different productions. There's only seven of us as well. You kind of, it really does feel like you're, you're exploring these plays sort of, you know, as a family. You know, we're all very close. It's, it's a lot of fun. Slightly dysfunctional family at times. Um, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's great. And tell me about your choice for the company to come to uh, North Carolina State University. Well, I mean, um, Aquila just, you know, tries to, to get around as much of America as possible, really. And it's always great to, to come to, um, to, um, to your town before. So for us, coming from England, that will be a whole new experience. And we're sort of looking forward to playing some shows there for you guys. As I said, the responses from everywhere we've... We've, we've sort of been, have been, you know, the audience has been lovely, very responsive, uh, particularly with these two plays, which is which is great. So, you know, it's been a real pleasure to kind of go to these different places. You know,
know, meet such wonderful people. So we're really looking forward to it. Yeah. And tell me, uh, a lot of the uh, audience that's coming to these performances, especially at Stuart Theatre, are students. What is the draw for uh, students to come? I know a lot of people, when they hear Shakespeare, they might cringe a bit because they've had to read it in their English class. Or what, What's the draw for Aquila, and um, how do you see students really enjoying the plays themselves? Well, I kind of think with both, you know, with, with both of our um, productions, I mean, the Shakespeare with As You Like It, certainly the way we're approaching it is kind of very, very vibrant, very fast-moving. It's um, accessible to, to everyone. There's, there's, you know, it's funny, it's moving, it explores lots of different, very universal themes like love, friendship, loyalty, mistaken identity, and also with the cast of Seven, you know, we have people who are doubling, trebling, even there's even one actor who plays about seven parts. So it's kind of a very uh, new look at the show. Me and Leander are actually quite lucky because we just have one part in the show, which is which is very nice. But, you know, it's, it's, it's modern, very quick. It's yeah, I mean, it's, I think quite often people have this reaction to Shakespeare because, as you said, they've sort of run at school and it seems very boring and, um, and sort of, you know, they've been forced to sit down and, and read it. And quite often, it's not put up on its feet. But, I mean, the experience that we've had doing workshops with students um, and, and very often introducing them to Shakespeare for the first time, you know, they'll come thinking, ah, oh, it's going to be boring, and, you know, it's, it's old-fashioned and, you know, there's nothing to relate to in it. And then they will leave realizing that the themes are timeless. The language is so exciting. I mean, I, I was told when I was at drum school that it's the language of giants. You know, it's incredible the incredible way that Shakespeare crafts words together. And, and, and actually, if Shakespeare is done well, and if you take it off the page and suddenly stand up with it and start speaking it out loud, you've got a very, very different experience. Actually, in the workshops that Leandra was just mentioning, you, you know, we do three different types of workshops. We do it, we, and one of those is a Shakespeare workshop. And actually, they've been so successful because, you know, you sort of go in there and they hire, and you, you, you have the different scenes that you try out with the students, and they have so many great ideas about how they think, you know, the line should be spoken. So actually, you know, there's a, I think there's, a, there's still an immense amount of sort of creativity and passion when it comes to Shakespeare. So I would say it's a production that's accessible to all, whether you're a big fan of Shakespeare or a complete novice. Um, there, there'll be something in it that will make you laugh, make you, you know, feel things that you maybe haven't felt in a while. About and it's all, and, it, and it's also, you know, you know, I think people sometimes think I'm going to go and see a Shakespeare. Am I going to understand, you know, what's going on? But I think, you know, as Leander was saying, depending on how you perform it, and you know, when you actually stand up and do it and really speak to the audience, it actually can be, you know, understandable to, you know, to anyone. I would say. And, and, I think, uh, and Ken, our director, has um, he's actually toured with Aquila for ten years as an actor, and this is the first production he's directed. And what's been wonderful working with him is that he understands what audiences want and what they what goes down well with an audience. And also he, he worked for a number of years with the Royal Shakespeare Company in, in back in Britain. And he really has put the words um, centre stage. So the work that we've done on the text and the clarity of what we're saying. And I think if actors are on stage knowing what they're saying, then Shakespeare or be it, um, you know, or whatever, the audience will get it. That's a story. Yeah, that's a yeah. story clearly. So, um, we'll look forward yeah. to hearing what you, what you guys think of it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Leandra and Owen, for uh, calling in. Thank you very much. Than
As You Like It will be performed tomorrow, February 2nd at Stewart Theatre at 8 p.m. And Enemy of the People will be performed the following night also at Stewart Theatre at 8 p.m. For more information about tickets and about show information, you can go to www.ncsu.edu slash center stage. This has been Community Canvas. I'm Kieran Marrera. Triangle. Your local music news. On Tuesday, January 12th, 2010, the nation of Haiti was struck by an earthquake with a magnitude of 7.0. It has been estimated that 3 million people have been affected by the quake and 170,000 bodies have been counted so far. 20,000 commercial buildings were either damaged or destroyed, along with 225,000 residential structures. You're listening to Eye on the Triangles. Hear this. I'm Adam Kincaid. Joining me in studio is Hank Smith of the band The Hot Wires, who will be playing this Thursday, February 4th, at the Poor House Music Hall in downtown Raleigh for the Haiti Relief Benefit Show. So, Hank, I was wondering if you could give us some more information about this benefit. The Haiti Relief Benefit is at the Poor House Music Hall on February 4th and features Andy Belinsky, the DeBonzo Brothers, Roger Gupton, The Hot Wires, Filthy Bird, Chatham County Line and a Rooster for the Masses. All proceeds go to benefit the Red Cross relief efforts in Haiti, and the suggested donation is $12 at the door. It starts at 6.30 and goes until closing. Hank, can you tell me where all the proceeds from the show are going? All proceeds go to benefit the American Red Cross relief efforts in Haiti. So how much do you think the poorhouse plans on raising for relief efforts? The suggested donation at the poorhouse is $12 at the door. The show starts at 6.30, and I would expect that they would raise around $15,000 by the end of the night for the Red Cross. And that is a suggested donation. It's not necessarily right. the price of the show. Right. It's just suggestion. So, Hank, why did the Hot Wires choose to participate in this event? We wanted to, to help out as well. We saw the opportunity to give back, and um, one of the reasons that we play music in the first place is to help other people, so why not do it on a much larger scale? Hank, you mentioned one of the reasons that you play music to begin with is to help other people. I was wondering if you could elaborate on that just a little bit. Music is a way to communicate on a, on a larger level. It's also a way to bring people together. So if we can use our combined talents with uh, you know, the people in the band as well as the other bands on the bill to raise money for a disaster, then everybody benefits. And music, to me anyways, is the great communicator and a way to, to really help people who otherwise wouldn't have a reason to do it. You know, it, it can really uplift people on a regular basis, even just without a benefit show to help people that are devastated by an earthquake. It could just be a way to lift people up in general. Hank, can you talk about the different styles of the bands and the different kinds of music that will be played on Thursday night? Every band on the bill is very different in many ways and will attract a varied audience, which can only help the overall relief effort by bringing in a lot of different kinds of people. Also, the bands on the bill are local and regional acts, so it really brings together the Raleigh area as well as the greater North Carolina region. Hank, have you personally ever played in a benefit show before? Yes. For many years, I toured in an act called Barefoot Manor, and we did band together one year downtown, and the proceeds went to benefit the Boys and Girls Club of Wake County. So how is doing a benefit show different from, say, doing a normal show? 
from a business standpoint, the the bands are donating their time, so we don't get paid for it. We show up and play in the spirit of charity. Also, it tends to bring out different types of people that normally might not come to a standard concert. These are people who are more charitably oriented, I suppose, and are, are more likely to come out to support benefits rather than just come out to a rock concert or whatever. So it can bring out yet an even more varied audience than, than normal. Do you have any concerns for this show on Thursday? I just think that it's going to be a really great night, a really well-attended concert. And with the acts on the bill, you really can't lose. If this was not a benefit and they had these bands on just for fun, suggested donation of $12 or a $12 admission charge would be an absolute steal. There's no real concerns or, or anything like that other than maybe the poorhouse will break some attendance laws. I mean, that's, I'm more worried for them than us. <laughs> maybe we'll run out of booze. They might run out of alcohol by the end of the night. <laughs> Well, Hank, thanks so much for coming in to talk with us about this, and we'll see you on February 4th. You're very welcome. I can't wait. Thanks. And that was Hank Smith of local bluegrass band, The Hot Wires. He came in to talk to us about the Haiti Relief Benefit Show going on at the Poor House this coming Thursday, February 4th. Show starts at 6.30 p.m. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle. This is Hear This. I'm Adam Kincaid. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I'm Seja Hindi. Before we move on to our next segment, we actually have a part two to our Hear This segment. The Krispy Kreme Challenge is not the only event going on this weekend. We also have the WKNC Double Barrel Benefit coming up and Double Barrel Benefit 7, actually. Um, and Mike Austin, general manager of KNC, is in the studio with us here today. As That's if right. he's not here every day. That's right. Um, <laughs> Mike, what can you tell us about the Double Barrel Benefit? Well, first of all, I can tell you that I will be present at both nights of the Double Barrel Benefit and the Krispy Kreme, so it's going to be a busy week. Hopefully it doesn't snow. But the Double Barrel Benefit started seven years ago. Uh, it's called the Double Barrel Benefit because we provide two nights of excellent live entertainment, uh, and it's basically one of the, the biggest ways that the station raises funds every year. Uh, this year we've used it for a couple of things, like to update our automation system, which was uh, right around tw 10 years old. Uh, it was really causing some trouble in terms of keeping the radio station going. So we had to do that, and the Double Barrel is vital to help us raise money to do things exactly like that. So the Double Barrel Benefit is a two-night event concert, concert event rather, that directly benefits the radio station. So the admission price that you pay, which I can say since we're a nonprofit, is $9 at the door, 7 in advance, and we have two-day passes at school kids currently. Uh, Jacob's looking at me. He he went a couple days uh, before they got there, but they are there now. Uh, and so tickets are still on sale, but they might sell out later this week. So that's what I can tell you about the Double Barrel Benefit. All right. That sounds good. So, Mike, what can you tell us about the bands? Yeah. So the bands, we make a huge effort not to have similar lineups throughout the years. There have been a couple bands that have played more than once, but this year our biggest goal was we want to provide the best bands that we can that aren't repeats from previous years so in fact i've made a little mix here of what you can expect on friday night which is the first night that's february 5th it will be first the light pines then veely bella fea and max indian and so uh let's go ahead and play that
so that was a bit of a taste of what's uh, to be in store Friday night. And I should add that this is sort of almost like a big family event. Let's see, the Light Pines and Max Indian have members that are all members of other local bands. They're all part of this big thing called the Drug Horse Collective. They basically just get together and make music, and then and they switch band members out and call them different names. There's like five or six bands total. Uh, and then actually Bella Fea, some of those members are like roommates with Max Indian members. So it really is like one big family experience. So we're just going to come uh, give them beer and give them food and then have them play music from 9 to about 1 o'clock in the morning. And I should say V. Lee as well is a band that a lot of people are really excited about. They were giving away three song EPs all year last year. Uh, I think they ran out of those. And now they have some more music on the way that is very soon, that's due very soon. Uh, so it's it's really an exciting night. And unlike last year when we had bands that like get national acclaim, these are bands that are like very, very local and really up and coming. So I think that people might look back on this lineup in three years and be like, oh, wow, they had this band back in 2010. You're getting ahead of me, Mike. I was going to ask you for next question, uh, what the difference is between this year's Double Barrel and oh. last year's. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I beat you to it there. But last year we had Polvo headline on Saturday night. We had Birds of Avalon on Saturday night as well. Bower Birds on Friday night. And those are bands that have pretty big national tours. Polvo just put out an album last year on Merge after a long hiatus. So that was one that a lot of national blogs picked up and people said, oh, Double Barrel Benefit. Now, did it do us any good that someone in L.A. knew about the Double Barrel Benefit? No, they didn't come to the show, but it was still cool. Uh, this year, it really is local in the truest sense, uh, except, I guess we might say, Saturday night's headliner. I hope I don't get ahead of you again here. You did again, but okay. well, <laughs> expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Saturday night's headliner is Roman Candle. Uh, they are, we still call them local. They're from Chapel Hill. Uh, they had members of some of these other bands in their band before they moved out of town which is to Nashville, Tennessee. But in talking with them, they say that Chapel Hill is still home to them. They still love eating at the same places when they come home. And we didn't even have to give them a hotel room. So there you go. Pretty good offer. So what can you tell us about Night Two's lineup? Yeah, let's go ahead and get into this. So it's the Tender Fruit, Midtown Dickens, Spider Bags, and Roman Candle. And here's a little preview of what that will sound like. too much into night two uh i was reminded that we actually didn't tell you guys that the double barrel benefit is at the poor house that's right that was my job so I, I neglected to do that it was it started at king's downtown but most of our listeners know at this point king's uh gave way to a parking deck a couple years ago what was that jacob 2006 2007 
2000, uh, sometime in the 2000s, Kings uh, got destroyed for a parking deck. And so now we had a choice to move to several different locations. And we chose the poor house. This was three years ago before I started planning it. Uh, but either way, Double Barrel Benefit 5 was the first one that was at the poor house. And then last year was 6. That was at the poor house as well. And then this year is uh, Double Barrel 7. And that's going to be at the poor house too. It's been a good venue for that place. That sounds good. So, Mike, what can you tell us about Night 2's bands? That's right. So uh, we talked a little bit about Roman Candle. They are Nashville transplants. They're from Chapel Hill, basically. Uh, let's go to the first band, the Tender Fruit. Uh, that is a girl named Christy Smith, who's actually from Rocky Mount, which is my hometown. Uh, one of the better things that come out of Rocky Mountain, I should say. Uh, she released an album under the band name NOLA several years back that was absolutely beautiful, and she's currently working on uh, another album with uh, another band member that's going to be beautiful. And this current band that she's in is The Tender Fruit, and we only actually have one song that we can play. They haven't released music officially, uh, but they do play out a lot. They're from sort of Raleigh slash Durham. I think one lives in Raleigh, one lives in Durham. But their duet, they're great beautiful music up next is midtown dickens who put out an album as a duet a couple years ago and then last year they put one out they added several people to the band i think seven different people play on the album uh, so they'll have more people more sound uh, again it's two girls plus the, the new band members and they're really beautiful as well uh, and then spider bags which is actually you know of the eight bands the one that i'm least familiar with but one of the co-organizers of the event loves them so much she convinced me Look, you might not have heard much spider bags. Put them on the bill, I promise you. So I say that to our audience as well. You might not have heard much spider bags, but I promise you. The rumor is they'll get you very drunk. I'm not really sure how to interpret that. <laughs> so, and then there's Roman Candle as well. So, I, I, you know, if, if I had to pick a night, I would just pick both. Well, that sounds good. So we talked a little bit about the actual event and what people should expect. What about behind the scenes i mean how many man hours were put into planning double barrel benefit seven lots of man hours and i would say an equal number of woman hours as well uh we have been laboring over this since pretty much october we spent a lot of time if there's one thing behind the scenes that i want to get out to our fans and our listeners it's that we absolutely labored and very painstakingly chose these bands these are bands that we love and that we want our fans to be able to see so rather than doing like a week-long phone drive telling you to call and give us money uh we decided you know let's just have a concert and let's pick our favorite bands our favorite live bands uh and we'll take your money but we'll give you a concert for it instead uh and, and we really couldn't do it without some of our sponsors sir speedy empire eats paps blue ribbon and holly aiken is actually uh we have a surprise announcement that we'll be giving tomorrow uh, involving holly aiken so those are the sponsors that made it possible as well well, that sounds good. I'm really excited about it, and you guys should come out to the poorhouse Friday and Saturday. Um, do you have anything else you want to add? I mean, I, I could talk for another couple hours, but I don't think anyone <laughs> wants me to. So, All right. For more information, you can go to wknc.org slash dbb7. That's right. And we'll move on to sound bites. We'll be warm. Sound bites on Eye on the Triangle. Opinions from around the NC State campus. 
You're listening to Sound Bites on Eye on the Triangle. I'm Allison Harmon. This weekend's snowstorm, which earned the title Snowpocalypse due to the constant pre-storm news coverage, dropped three to seven inches of snow and ice on the Triangle, according to WRAL reports. Responding to the danger presented by icy roads and sidewalks, university officials throughout the Triangle made the call to either cancel or delay class. Although Duke officials canceled Monday classes, UNC Chapel Hill and NCSU delayed opening until 10 a.m. and noon, respectively. Here in Raleigh, Meredith Faggart and I asked students whether the icy roads gave them any trouble on the way to class. All right, I'm uh, Gaither Fry. I'm a freshman. I'm a double major in math and physics. I'm Jay Sherman. I'm a sophomore, double major in math and physics. I'm Greg Zavlosky, and I'm majoring in horticulture science. I was I was perfectly comfortable. I was fine. Uh, I only had one class today, so I wasn't out there that much. I did but... see I, I did see several people sliding around on some ice. I saw that one chick slide yeah. walking to Bergara. Uh, Remember, she was just like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> well, I guess that was true. one girl bruised her ego pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, she went home and iced it. <laughs> uh, Lars Isaacson, I'm a accounting student, grad school. I was busted my ass in the parking lot. Uh, yeah, I, I, like, I had more problems yesterday, but it wasn't as bad today, but they still should have had school canceled, I think. I'm Lauren McKenzie. I'm a grad student in accounting. Yeah, the main roads were fine, but the roads to my apartment complex were pretty rough. Like, I rode with him because he has a truck, and I couldn't have gotten out in my car. Um, Chelsea Rawson. Um, I'm a freshman, and I'm undecided major. I didn't drive. I've been walking, and um, I've ran into a little bit of ice, but most of it's melting today, so most of it, you just need, like, rain boots to get in all the puddles. But they've scraped a lot of the sidewalks, so I think it's mostly fine. I'm Anna. I'm in the microbiology program. Uh, not really. Not once I got to the main roads. Um, I live in Durham, and uh, getting out of my neighborhood was a little tricky, but I didn't have to come in till noonish, so it was okay. And that was Sound Bites on Eye on the Triangle. I'm Allison Hart. up another episode of Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Thanks for tuning in. As always, make sure to send us emails at publicaffairs at wknc.org with suggestions or ideas. If the editorial made you really angry or you really agreed with it, make sure to shoot us an email and we will read those out on the show next week. And stay tuned at wknc.org slash blog for more information on the contest that John told you about earlier. Thanks again.